0: Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message.
1: The sacrifice of Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated.
0: We've been looking for the last couple months at the life of Abraham. this great story, this great narrative, and it really kind of comes to an end and conclusion in this, a uh, both dramatic and um, confusing and horrifying and powerful narrative um, that sums up sort of the, the life of Abraham this way, that, that there's one thing that the, the Scriptures want to teach you about Abraham, it's that his life as an example is a picture for us about what it means to have faith, about what it looks like for the promises of God to actually come into your life. And in a nutshell, faith, what what does it mean? Uh, The book of Hebrews uh, puts it this way, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These all died in faith, referring to the saints who had faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. That is, there is a difference between um, actually grabbing a hold of something, something practically in front of you, and then knowing something is coming into fruition. And what faith, the author of Hebrews says, is the grabbing a hold of, the living in light of, the appropriating something that you know is so true, you're willing to live your life on it. And what the story of Abraham does for us is it sort of puts before us there are two ways to live your life. One is to live your life, uh, like David Hume said, just sort of everything is in front of you. Everything is concrete. Everything is practical. Who you are, your purpose in this world, what is important, significant, uh, it's just all seen and perceived by looking and experiencing the world. But there's a couple problems with that. If you live life that way, on the one hand, you'll have to come to terms with everybody sort of saying and realizing that almost all wisdom in life is revisionist history. That is, almost everybody comes to the conclusion at the end of their life that the things they thought they were seeing that were valuable and important to them, they realize were actually not that valuable and important. The things that we loved and cherished in our 20s and our 40s, we thought, why did I care so much about that? That there was a thing that they couldn't see in those early ages that they realized later on, actually, I can see a little bit more clearly. So, if you go through life assuming that what you can see is how you find value and significance in this world, you almost guaranteed to be live, with life, and live life as a fool. But the other problem with that is that the people who are actually doing that now, even in the older ages, are not succeeding. Um, Allison Peck, very successful scriptwriter, uh, is quoted as saying, "I'm happy, but there just has to be more than this." There are thousands of examples of people who have done something more significant in your field than you will ever do, who come to the conclusion of the very same thing. That is what I'm seeing can't be all that there is. That's one option in life. The other option in life that the life of Abraham gives us is to to live by faith. That is, to live life learning to see life the way God sees it. Learning to live in a way that is uh, skeptical of the current of this world and realizing that God's God's ways are are upstream, they're against the current and values of this world, and it doesn't make sense to the immediate eye, it doesn't make sense to the immediate moment, but later on, the revisionist way of looking at things always proves that to be wise, and that's what it means to live by faith. How do you learn to do that? This dramatic story actually kind of gives it to us in a nutshell. If you want to learn to have faith. And to live life that way, and to live life seeing God, seeing the world the way God sees it, you got to do three things. You got to see the true love of your heart. Secondly, you got to see the uniqueness of God. And third, you have to see the assurance of the Lamb. That's how you have the faith in this world. First, you have to see the true love of your heart. So, there's this uh, dramatic moment where Isaac has been born to Abraham and Sarah, which is their long-awaited promise, the thing that they've wanted their whole life, and God comes to him and says in verse 1, Abraham, I'm going to give you a test. He says in verse 2, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering, as the one on the mountains which I tell you. Now, what's happening here? Well, um, it seems as though God is coming after the person who has long-awaited promise, and He says, take your son, your child, and go up to the, the, the mountain and sacrifice him. Now, the immediate reading of that, we're, we're so concentrated on what will happen to Isaac that we almost lose the vision of who, why it's Isaac. Robert Alter, uh, the great uh, Cal Berkeley professor, uh, Hebrew scholar, Uh, He says the the translation, and the rendering here gives it sort of a light understanding of what's going on here. He loves um, the Midrashic commentary by a man named Rashi that goes like this. He says, imagine it this way. God says, take your son. Abraham says, though, I have two sons. God says, you're only one. Well, Abraham said, well, this one, Isaac, is a son to his only mother, And that one is a son to his only mother, but God says to him, take the one you love. Abraham says, I love them both, and God says, Isaac, take him, your only one. Some commentators say that when He says, your only one, another way to render that Hebrew word is your favored one. Now what is God doing here? He is saying your true love is not me. Your true love has become something totally else. And I'm not asking you to do something actually you're not already doing. See, what what God is going to draw out of Abraham is that Abraham's love is so great for Isaac that he's going to kill him. Now, some of you kind of like scoff and Turn your eyes up at that. And, and, and understandably so, we read about a narrative like this and are pushed back. But are you really going to live in Southern California and tell me that we don't ever put children on the altar for our gods? Uh, there was a fascinating documentary a couple years ago called Trophy Kids. And what the documentary does is it uh, actually chronicles a bunch of Southern California families who parents believe for sure that this child is going to be the next Tiger Woods, or this child is going to win Wimbledon, or this child is going to be the next Tom Brady. And what they end up doing is they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing everything they can to make these kids the best athlete in their sport. They take them to all the practices. They never let them go to birthday parties. There's no such thing as ever having a Coke. They can't ever stay up late. Video games never exist because they're just going to train them to be these athletes. And it seems so impressive. And it actually feels very loving and like they're there for their kids. And they're not these parents who are like neglected and interested in their own lives. They're so interested in their kids, but there's one problem kids hate it. And the kids never wanted to do what they wanted to do. And one of the most dramatic examples of this ever was, uh, was Andre Agassi, who actually became an amazing tennis player and then wrote a biography where he talked about the most painful thing in his life ever was his father who wanted something for him that he never wanted. He went on and said this. He said, I never wanted to be an amazing tennis player. It didn't mean it didn't come with, with a good talent and the hard work. I kept doing it, though, because my dad wanted it and told me from a young age that that's what I was going to do. So I only had two conclusions. I thought about either killing myself or the meth. Oh, I mean, what, what God is putting to Abraham here is something that he's got to put on you. The idea that you've never taken somebody you loved and thought about sacrificing them, Now, maybe not with a knife and on a pile of wood, but on an academic future or on an emotional relationship, on something that you have to have in order to be happy. And you think you're loving them, you think you're providing, you think you're protecting and you're killing them. And God says, I'm going to intervene and make you give up something and destroy something because it's going to destroy someone else. See, here's where it, what you have to come to terms with in order to have faith. Everyone. Everyone has something that they say is the most important thing in their life, and then something else they really are in the arms of. And you know what? Even if you're secular, you're living by faith. Like, how, how do you... How do you know if your kids get into this college, you're going to be happy? How how do you know if you get that retirement life, you're going to be content? You don't know. In fact, everything you're piling and chasing and putting it into, it's all living by faith. The only problem is there are thousands of examples that say the faith that you're standing on is just quicksand. And your true love, look, you don't love it, you worship it, and you don't own it, it owns you. And what God is coming to do in your life, and what He's done to Abraham, is He says, I can see what you can't see. I mean, this moment for Abraham, what it is, a little bit it is, is it's like being put in one of those uh, machines that gives you an MIR, or excuse me, M- M- MRI. I mean, you, you know, you're in there. And you're underneath it on a table and the doctor can see everything. And there's something there that you might be aware of, you might have lied to yourself, you might have denied it, but it's there and you can't see it. And if you ever want to have faith, what God says is, I can see it. Can you see it? Will you ever be open to seeing it? What is your one true love? What is the one thing that if you were to lose today, you don't know how you'd go on tomorrow because that's your true love? And until you can realize that that's got to be going on the altar, look, you're not living by faith. You're living by your one true love in this world that is going to fall away. And when God comes to Abraham and says, put the son up there, he's saying, the thing that you are killing, that's your one true love, and I'm going to take your hands off of your life. Why? So I can give you back your life and make me your one true life. Living by faith, you have to see your one true love the way that God sees it. Secondly, though, you have to see the uniqueness of God. Um, in this story, let's be honest with it is a horrifying story. And, and, and if you're, you're not familiar with the Bible and you've uh, not been to church much recently, it is okay to hear this story and think that this is a reason why I'm skeptical of Christianity. Because I read this as a pastor and, and think this is troubling, this is hard. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the great Danish philosopher, uh, hated this story And he said, the lesson from this story cannot be no matter what you obey. He said, because if anybody obeys this story and goes and does it, they're going to go to jail and we should stand up next week and say they deserve to be in jail. And they deserve it the justice of that. It is not no matter what obey. Now, why is it not that? Well, a couple commentators in the last 10 or 20 years have come along And so there's really some circumstances here that have got to help you and I translate from our Western society to an ancient Near Eastern context to understand what is really going on here and why Abraham is not fighting. Do you notice this? Abraham and Sarah, if you read their whole story, I mean, incessantly tried to take matters into their own hands. We read a couple weeks ago that uh, they did not trust that God was going to give them a child, and so what they did is they took his maidservant, Hagar, and abused her and said, this has got to be the way to have a child. They're unsure of, of all of these things that they think God is going to do it, so they're constantly asking, are you going to do this? And God gives him this crazy request, and Abraham never questions him, never presses back, never has any moment of doubt. He just goes along with it. Why? Here's why. A, God does not tell him to murder his son. It says in verse 2, take your son up to be an offering. B, you have to understand in this context the law of primogeniture. That is, everything in the ancient Near East was built on the eldest child. So, the way families worked is they said, okay, we want our family to have good status in the society for years and years to come. That means... When the parent dies, everything we own goes to the eldest son. Now today, in our culture, the way we do it is if the the parents die, the estate is evenly split up between the children. But in that culture, you would only give it to the eldest son because if you split it up, what that meant is not the bank account goes separate ways, but the land that you own and the cattle you own no longer is this big, it's this big. And so in order to keep it big and important and significant, you would give it to one child. The third reason Abraham doesn't fight about this is because in the ancient Near East, everybody believed in gods. And they knew that gods, in order to have a relationship with them, would bless you on one condition, that you understood that the first fruits were his. That is, if you grow crops... The first ones are mine. If you get cattle, the first ones are mine. If you have a son, the first one belongs to me. Now knowing this and believing that your life had a debt on it, that you had to offer up something. God gives Abraham this command and he goes, I I, I have to pay this debt. I have to give this offering, but on the way up, on the way up to the mountain, here's the tension going on in Abram. He's wondering how in the world God can be just and ask me for this offering, which everybody knows is true, and fulfill a promise. See, think about this for a moment, because this is the tension of our world. How can God be just and loving? If, if God is not just, then you know what hope you have for all of the broken things that you hate in this world? Nothing. That means somebody who did something evil, somebody who did something racist, somebody who did something dark and didn't get caught, they're going to get away with it and there is no justice in this world, and the only hope for you is to take matters into your own hands, and any society that has ever done that always ends up almost concluding one thing. Genocide is the only way forward. If there is no justice, there is no hope for this world, but if God is not loving, what hope do we have? Because like Isaiah 53 says, we like sheep, all of us have gone astray. Everybody has gone their own way, both moral and immoral, choosing to live life their own way, bringing a record that is never, ever enough. And Abraham knows it. Do you know that? And what the ancient Near Eastern gods said is you must offer up a record. If you offer up a record and you bring this up, maybe I'll bless you. And that's what Abraham goes up to do. But then on the top of the mountain, he discovers how unique this God is. Because in verse 10, this is the sweetest moment in the story. His son is up there on the altar, ready to be the offering. And here's what it says in verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God and you have not withheld your son, your one and only son. I mean, like a parent rushing to catch a child falling off a counter. The angel of the Lord, which is always an a Old Testament way of saying, before he put skin on Jesus, runs in and says, do not do this. Do not do anything to this boy. Do not do anything to your one son, your first son, your only son. And it's a beautiful intervention of mercy and grace. But the question still remains, how can God be holy and just and yet keep His promise? But faith, this is remember what he, this is the book of Hebrews says, faith is this, it is seeing things that you will never truly see in this life. See, Abraham saw, but he could not see what you can actually see. See, here, here's how the knife could not come down. It says, this is what happened on Mount Moriah. You know what it says in Second Chronicles? Mount Moriah was actually around the city of Jerusalem. And what they believed is that this is actually the place called Calvary, where when Isaac took the wood upon the mountain, there would be another one and only son who wouldn't take sticks but would take a wooden cross so that the knife fully came down on God's one and only son, Jesus, where holiness, justice, and love and mercy all came together in a powerful moment. See, every other God says, if you want me to keep my promise, if you want it to be a blessing, you must bring your record. You must stand on something. But the God of Christianity says, I will provide. This is called the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. If you want to have faith and faith in Christianity, this is what you have to know. Everything in this world will make you stand on something, but Christianity alone gives you something to stand on that you have nothing to do with. There was a story about these two young boys uh, on the banks of the Mississippi River in St. Louis um, who were told never to play there because what would happen is these barges would uh, come through and and create such a wake that the sediments would uh, wash up on the shore and create these huge holes in the sand. So one day they couldn't find them for hours and went and searched for them and found them on the banks of the river and they found the youngest boy passed out with his head above the sand and his body buried in the sand. They couldn't find the elder brother. So they dug the little boy out and when they dug him out, the reason he was standing where he was is because he was standing on his older brother's shoulders that his older brother had gotten down underneath him and given his life so his younger brother could stand and live. Everything will look at you in this world and say, what are you standing on? Your morality, your passion, your commitment, your resume, your money, what your kids become. But the God of Christianity, when John, met the, the, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, do you know what he called Him? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The uniqueness of God is that He will provide and not require. To have faith is to know that's how you meet God in His substitutionary provision. To have faith, you have to see your one true love. You have to see His provision. But thirdly, you have to see the assurance of the Lamb. Here's what happens after Abraham sees this and does this. It says, Behold, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. The word provide there, also in the Hebrew, it means to see. And what Abraham said here is is he said, I have seen. I have seen how God has provided. And he says, I will call this place this. And here's, here's the lesson that you have to take if you want to have faith. Look, he did not call the mountain, I have passed the test. Nor did he call it, I have had commitment, I have held my own. What he did is he said, I have seen that God is a God of intervention and provision. Look, if you're somebody who, who looks around this room and you feel like, you have faith, you have faith, I, I know you believe, but this is really hard for me to grasp and a hold of something that I can't see. I mean you you have to sort of have a little intellectual credibility and go look I have faith in things I can't see like your feelings you can't see those but yet you trust them but look faith in Christianity it is not a blind abstract faith it is not as though we just say just have faith what it means to see and to have faith is to go there in history on Calvary there's a place God provided. The cross of Christ, where Jesus became the Lamb of God for all of us, is God's certified assurance for you to be able to grab a hold of and know God loves me. And it doesn't require my record, it doesn't require my passion, it doesn't require what I did or didn't do this week. His full acceptance of me, right now, you don't have to walk an aisle, you don't have to raise your hand, right now is given in one thing and one thing only that you can grab a hold of, it's because Calvary happened. And he became the Lamb. And what faith is, is finding full assurance in that. Um, my wife bought something um, for one of our children a couple months ago and asked me to take it to the Amazon locker at uh, USC. I took it like three or four weeks later, the return still had not happened. And so um, she calls me and gives me uh, the proper lecture on why did you not get a receipt? And it was, I didn't know I was supposed to get a receipt. And so I went back there and I you know, had him scan it and I was like, I got to have proof. I, I turned this into you. So sure enough, they scanned my thing and he had a screenshot of it and I took a picture of it because that picture was like, I've got to have something so I can call them and say, hey, look, we did this. Look, if you, if you feel guilty, if you, if you are unsure of how God ever feels about you, it accepts you and wonders, here's what you do. You take the cross and you go to him. And you say, the debt has been paid. This is my receipt, your your one and only son, who you brought the knife full down on. And when that assurance is given to you, I promise you, friends, you will begin to see this world the way that God sees it. Do, Do you know how much God, the lengths to which He went to make you His and how much assurance He wants to give you? Paul we we, we think, commenting on this moment, says this in eight Romans eight, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What is the most precious thing in your life? What is the thing that you, you you would never want to put up there on the altar? You wouldn't want to put it up for a friend much less somebody who wanted nothing to do with you. The most precious thing to God that He'd known for all of eternity, for you. And you know what Jesus says in John 10? It's not as though He was dragged there. He says, I lay my life down on my own accord. He went for you. Willingly like Isaac, here I am, Father, for them. John Newton, the great hymn writer, he said, how amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Do you, do you, have you seen that? To see it is to begin to have faith. Let me pray. Father, Lord, there are so many things in our life that blind us. We want to see. And it begins by seeing the wonder of your love and provision in that full stamp of of acceptance and assurance that we have in your Son. Lord, for anybody trying to trust their own merits, trying to trust their own obedience, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you break that foundation, Lord, and help them to see the wonder of the Lamb. Lord, you are good in giving and loving. We ask in Jesus' name that you would meet us at the cross with this in his name we pray amen If you enjoyed this message we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed This will let you know when a new message has been posted You can also look for us on YouTube Facebook or Instagram at journey south bay Until next time God bless